Hi, and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Heineken, fuck that shit. House Blue Ribbon. I love it. Okay. Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. And this week... I'm so happy that Brittany picked Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet! It's a David Lynch movie, and it's like, it's my favorite David Lynch movie so far. And for those of you who uh, can't see Katie, Katie is very much emulating um, uh, Isabella Rosalini. She's wearing her blue, and she has her red lipstick. So I'm like, oh, nice touch, Katie. Like, very much. Blue and red uh, play distinct uh, characters in this. Uh, movie. Uh, David Lynch is a very visual director, and yeah, I did it on purpose. I even put blue eyeshadow on, although it I didn't put it. It was a little Mimi from the Drew Carey show, and I don't want to get too Mimi. Um, but or is it Minnie? You know who I'm talking about, the lady from the Drew Carey show. I'm pretty sure it's Mimi. Uh, anyways, but I really like Blue Velvet. Uh, how are you doing, Brittany? You're moving into a new house. I am. I am. It is exhausting uh it's harder the older you get and when you move it's harder like because you're as you become older it's like one thing when we're moving in college and it's like yeah we have classes and that sucks we gotta study but then it's like when you get older it's like you accumulate more shit and then you have a job where you have mm-hmm. to work to earn money so <laughs> i can't yeah. complain so we're first-time homeowners which is really wonderful Yay. how That's are you awesome. doing Katie? Uh, Katie, Brittany knows this, but Katie's having a, uh, rough week because she's in a, I'm talking about myself in third person. Um, no, I'm having kind of a rough week because, um, I, uh, I've been in the same relationship for 10 years and eight months and, uh, it ended abruptly this weekend for seemingly no reason other than, uh, cold feet of commitment. I'm a little bit like not of sorts but i'm glad we are watching blue velvet because it's a movie i really like and even though there is a central love story which which kind of holds everything together however it's also dark and twisty so unlike i was trying to watch this is a really it's not a great movie but it's kind of a good like guilty pleasure movie and it has actually really good performances in it it's called the jane austen book club and it's like a rom-com but it's real cute and there's like a couple that breaks up after like 30 years of marriage because the husband like wants to date other people because he's having a midlife crisis. And I was like, oh, I want to watch that movie because that's happening in that movie. And I started watching it. And then I remember they get back together at the end and then I'm crying at the end because I'm like in the throes of a breakup. And I'm just like, I need to watch something dark and twisty where I don't care if they end up together. So I'm not I'm not against romantic movies, but I'm I'm going to get into the dark and twisty. But I'm okay I'm rallying. I wore my red lipstick. It's my yeah. power color. Woo! But 
I mean, that's a little rambly, but yeah. So I'm going through kind of a tough time, but I am so glad you picked this. Like, I was going to pick this if you weren't going to pick it because I love David Lynch. Is this your first Lynch movie or have you seen some of his other ones? This is actually my first Lynch movie. Um, <gasps> but yes. And I'm very familiar with David Lynch. You can't um, be into movies and not be familiar yeah. with Blue Velvet or Racerhead or Mahola Drive or watch TV and not um, have heard about Twin Peaks, which, of course, is very revolutionary television. Um, so this was really exciting uh, stuff. And there's a lot to take in. So, <laughs> yeah. Um I have to thank two people in my life for introducing me to David Lynch. Um, one was one of my coworkers, Sophie. Um, she was actually my manager at the first office I worked at, at my job. And she was playing the music from Twin Peaks, the theme song, which is called Falling by the incomparable Angelo Badalamenti, who also does the music for Blue Velvet, this, which was his first collaboration with David Lynch, by the way. Um, he was brought in just to be Isabella Rossellini's uh, voice coach for the oh, last wow. scene that they filmed, which was the Blue Velvet club scenes. And uh, he loved him so much, he asked him to write more music, and then he ended up scoring it. Um, but anyways, so she was playing this music, and it's like this haunting, beautiful melody. And I was like, whoa, I love this music. What is it? She's like, it's from Twin Peaks. And I was like, I've heard of that, but I've never actually watched it. And she's like, oh. <gasps> Oh, my God, because she was, like, a teenager when Twin Peaks came out. So, like, yeah. she was, like, the perfect age for Twin Peaks. And Twin Peaks, if you've never seen it, Blue Velvet is the precursor to Twin Peaks. Blue Velvet is, like, a dip in the pond to Twin Peaks. Um, and then my my uh, now ex-boyfriend's friend, Michael Paul, was the person who told me to watch Blue Velvet. He was like, oh, my God, it's so good. But I had watched it. Uh, the uh, Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Yes. And I always saw that scene. I was like, what is this movie? Why do I want to watch it? It looks scary. And it's not really scary. It's, it's creepy. Not. It's creepy, I would say. <laughs> and there's, I mean, it's scary that that could happen to somebody. But also, like, it's, I don't know. It's more of just like a noir thriller. Romance. Horror. <laughs> It's interesting because, like, because I know we had chatted a little bit on uh, last week's episode that this was only the this was only like one of three best picture nominees that originally had X rating, mm -hmm. and so granted, this movie came out in 1986, which is now 34 years ago. But I was expecting something, yeah, I know, crazy, right? Um, I was expecting. I mean, there is a lot of erotic moments, but it wasn't as it wasn't as pornographic as I thought it would be. Yeah, it seems a lot tamer yeah. than you think it's going to be. Honestly, and this is a cute little tidbit of information. There's, If you hear about Blue Velvet, you probably hear about there's a ritualistic rape scene, which sounds awful. And it is. But when they finally get down to the actual sex part of it, it gets kind of funny. Yeah. Like, Dennis Hopper is, like, humping so quickly He's also on drugs, but he's so quickly that it kind of makes you, like, I find myself like, what's, what's happening? What's going on? I don't understand. But apparently when they were filming it, David Lynch kept having laughing fits and he'd have to excuse himself. And Isabel Rossellini was like, well, that's rude. And then, like, when she watches it now, she can't stop having laughing fits. So, like, there's something, I don't think it's that it's funny, it's that it's uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes 
when we're I still have a thing. Uh, my my dad uh, brings this up a lot. Where uh, when I get uncomfortable, I just straight up laugh. And it's not like a nervous giggle. Like, I hysterically laugh at something. And it's like a really weird tick. Um, yeah. It probably makes watching certain scenes with me um, in certain movies very interesting. I want to say there's a certain naivety to me that, um, you know, all holes off the table. You can't really talk about this movie too much while going into spoilers. Um, I didn't realize that uh, Frank was fisting her. Because of the way it was filmed. Oh, is he supposed to be fisting her? I've never gotten that. Yeah. I had no idea because I was like, what is he doing? Is he punching her vagina? Like, I'm Ugh. sorry if that's naive, but it just, I had no idea. I um, didn't. And I've seen this movie like five times. Yeah. So I was but like. But that's the part where I giggle because I'm like, he's so fast that I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. But it made, I thought he was just like dry humping her, honestly. Yeah. I didn't see where his hands were. It kind of cuts off where his hands are yeah and it's not that it's filmed tastefully but it's filmed in such a way that maybe it leaves some to the imagination um yes. too yeah it's yeah i on. Th the strange thing about david lynch is he's so unafraid to show like sexuality and nudity to a point and like things that are dark and shocking and terrible but are real in the real world but he's also like like an old-fashioned kind of dude yeah because like his like if you watch any of his movies or tv shows there's this like old like almost like 50s vibe like the character of audrey in um twin peaks and the character of sandy in blue velvet like they both kind of dress like a sock hop kind of girl like almost like a like a a-line poodle skirt kind of outfit with a sweater just so 50s but all of his stuff takes place in like the 80s and 90s like none of yeah. he doesn't have a lot of like historical pictures he has like a couple that are like based on true stories but most of them take place in modern day but there's this like weird like 50s vibe to all of his fashion and kind of like that buttoned up aesthetic and that is when he grew up so i think that's part of it it's kind of like um steven not sondheim what are you talking about? <laughs> he wrote Misery. Oh, Stephen King! Stephen King! It's like Stephen King. Stephen King, like, writes books about people in the 50s, because that's when he was a kid. Like, Stand By Me and uh, uh, It, and stuff like that. Like, that's why he writes it like that, because, like, it's, like, nostalgic for him. David Lynch does that, but then he still sets it in present day. So yeah. you have this, like, dreamlike, like, what time period are we in? Like, does it matter? I guess it doesn't. Cause like, and then people are driving like old cars too. So yeah. Tw Blue Velvet's kind of fuzzy on what year it's supposed to be, but it's very much. And there was something. I'll, I'm so sorry, Katie. Uh, there was something no, that I no, I I meant like I'm sorry because I don't know if you, this is gonna ruin this for you or if you noticed this when you're watching Blue Velvet too. Um, so one thing that is very, I feel like it's set in the '80s. There's a lot of like what you say is very atmospheric 1950s. Mm -hmm. But there's something very distinctly 80s, and that's um, Kyle McLaughlin's earring. Yes. <laughs> well, I I forgot that he had an earring until I watched it this time. And I was like, has that been there the whole time? Yes. Like, it's not even like a, it's like, it's like a little tiny hoop, and you'll miss it if you blink. But, like, it's really distracting to me. Yes. Like, I think Kyle McLaughlin is a very, he's a lot older now. He's much older than me. But, I mean, he's probably, what, 20 years older than us? Maybe uh, 25? I think, I think he's, like, in his early 60s now. 
He is, he has aged like a fine wine. He, that man is handsome. So I was looking up. I kind of have a. I like looking up the ages actors were in films um, when they made them. And he was 26 when he filmed this movie. Um, compared to Isabella Rossellini, I believe it was 33, and then Laura Dern was 19. So yes, Laura Dern is very young. I do love too. So in this movie, Laura Dern's character um, actually. Both of their characters have significant others. Did you know that in cut scenes from the very beginning of the movie, when Kyle McLaughlin's character, Jeffrey Beaumont, is at college, his college girlfriend is played by Megan Mullally, a.k.a. Oh. Karen from Will and Grace, a.k.a. Uh, Tammy from Parks and Rec, or one of the Tammies, because Ron always marries Tammies. Um, yeah, she... It was like one of her first roles, and I kept looking. I was like, "Wait, Megan Mullally's in this movie? How did I miss her?" And then I like looked further, and they're like, "Oh, they had to cut all of her scenes for time because it was originally a four-hour cut." Oh wow! David Lynch does not do short movies. Um, basically, the third season of Twin Peaks is basically like a ten-hour movie, so which makes more sense if you watch it all together because there's some episodes that are just like the same sequence, and they're very dreamlike, and it's like. Why am I watching this? But then if you watch it all together, it makes sense. Um, Twin Peaks season three is that is a ride. Like you have to watch the first two. And Fire yeah. Walk With Me, the movie, is also really, really good. But um, I mean, I I want to do Fire Walk With Me very much so, but I do think because there's a lot of shit in that. It's very dense. <laughs> it's so dense. Sorry, I'm quoting a Mr. Plinkett review. Um, but um I think you have to watch them to you have to watch season one and season two to watch Firewalk with me, which came next and then watch season three because that's how they came. like you won't. There's so much stuff in those movies like you won't get it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that like they have this 50s vibe. There's a weird uh, earring. Also, I love that they're very like like immediately the first time there's a romantic inclination. This is what I was trying to get to. Sorry, I got distracted. Um, when there's a romantic inclination between Sandy, which is Laura Dern's character, and Jeffrey Beaumont, which is um, Kyle, McLaughlin. uh, Kyle McLaughlin's character with the earring, um, he's like, I'm in college. And she's like, I'm an 18-year-old <coughs> high school student. So you're like, okay, no, no inappropriate relations. She is 18. It is not illegal for him to be dating her. Which I just found was really funny. I was like, thank you, David Lynch, for letting us know that this is not a, uh, a creepy pedophile ring going on. We should probably say what the what basically the plot is about. Do you want to do that? Just like a, yeah. like a quick like snippet before we get too spoilery? Yeah. So, um, of course, Blue Velvet is a David Lynch film. It came out in 1986. It is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, so you guys got no excuse. Um yeah. In Lumberton, North Carolina, everything is as American as apple pie. But when college student Jeffrey Beaumont finds a severed ear in a field in the quiet town, it leads him down a rabbit hole and in the middle of a, a lounge singer and a psycho psychotic drug dealer. So that's kind of the plot. It's just yeah. that there's this really great opening scene. And most people, when they talk about this movie, they do focus a lot on this opening scene as a standout in the movie. Um... And Jeffrey's dad has a stroke. And it's like, 
it's kind of showing this picturesque town like you see roses and there's a fireman and he has a dog and he's waving at the camera and it's just like this beautiful all-american town and then jeffrey's dad has this stroke and there's this dog and i've heard that the dog is very symbolic in lynch's film usually when there's a dog that appears everything starts to go wrong um in the movie so that's the thing for him as a director um you go underground and you see uh like these bugs and it's kind of right away it's kind of like when you're we it kind of reminds me of our talk about the lighthouse because it's it's a movie but it's almost like a literary work because there's all this symbolism that's kind of hitting you over the head even at the beginning and He's a very visual director, like with colors, like the very specifically, there's a very blue sky, a white picket fence and red, like bright, bright red roses and red in this movie often symbolizes coming danger because you see it a lot. Like there are these red, red curtains are a big thing in Twin Peaks. There's a whole uh, limbo dimension that is just called the red room. In um, Twin Peaks, it's really cool. I made my Animal Crossing basement just like it because somebody made a cheat for that. And I was like, yes, I am there. Please. I suppose there's something on my pants. I'm sorry. Anyways, sorry. There was something. I stepped on something. Uh, Anyways. Um, What was I saying? Oh, so like, so there's red roses. Red is very symbolic of danger coming. And, um he's very visual because he wanted to be a painter originally. Oh, like he studied to be a painter and he made a couple short films and got a grant to do some more films. And he worked in like this, I think it was the AFI like studio. I I listened to a lot of uh, David Lynch interviews and Isabella Rossellini interviews because they're pretty cool people. Um, and so he made Eraserhead, which is, like, everybody's, like, go-to David Lynch movie, which I admittedly have seen most of in pieces, but have never se- watched it, like, all the way through. Um, and it's starring Jack Nance, who's also in Blue Velvet, in a very small part. And he's a very cute, quirky man who likes to fish in Twin Peaks. Um, he's, he's, in, he's the guy that keeps saying, my name is Paul, or I think, he is, I think his name is yeah. Paul. He keeps going, I'm Paul to Kyle McLaughlin in the uh, in dream sequence at the brothel. Oh, yeah. And uh, him, like, with the mustache. I love him. Off topic, on topic. So Eraserhead is like one of those movies you hear about a lot because it's so surreal. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are like, it is cinematic art. And um, I've seen a few scenes and it's terrified me. Just like, It <laughs> is terrifying. It's- now, David Lynch ha- is one of those directors that he will explain some things. But, like, he doesn't over-explain things, basically. Um, so, like, he admits... He's never explained... Like, he likes keeping movie magic a secret. Like, he's never explained what the baby in uh, Eraserhead really is. But a lot of people find that, like, it is a movie about, like, a really lonely guy who accidentally impregnates his girlfriend. And they have this, like... And they're, like, in, like, a post-nuclear war world and like the baby they have is like grotesque and like it's held together with bandages and it's like it's kind of like any man's like fear of marriage and children so (laughs) ironic because you know that's what's happening in my life right now but that's okay uh it's not okay but it it will be okay anyways so like a lot of people find that and david lynch made it when he was very young and he he got married pretty young and had a kid pretty young because his daughter was like a teenager by the time he made Blue Velvet. 
So, like, he, he got married pretty young, and I think he was working out a lot of things with Eraserhead, which is why it's so dark. But a lot of people, I don't know, if, I think we both saw this interview where people were like, well, why do you have to have such dark, creepy things? Like, are you, like, a dark, creepy person? And he's like, no, I just, like, I have ideas, and I just want to explore them to entertain people and to bring a visual picture. And the whole reason he got into movies is because he's like, Movies are moving paintings, basically. So he sees every movie as a piece of art. So, like, every movie you see of David Lynch's, even if it's, like, even if it's, like, annoyingly abstract, it's at least entertaining. Like, there's a couple episodes in season three of Twin Peaks, which is much... So Mark Frost also wrote Twin Peaks. He wrote all the quirky townspeople stuff. And David Lynch wrote all, like, the, like surreal stuff. So, like, it gets really surreal in season three. And so there were some episodes where I was just like, this is really weird. And I'm kind of drifting away. But I was still, like, enthralled by it because it's beautiful. Even yeah. if it's grotesque. It's beautiful because he's an artist. And um, he's also pretty, um, pretty chill. And I think Brittany and I were talking about how he's so different from, like, a Quentin Tarantino yeah, we um we were both watching this interview and um the lady was not a very um great open minded. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't very open minded and or a good interview. Yeah, it just kind of frustrated me. She you know, he made a statement, he was like, Well, these are like my dreams and she's like, You must have some awful dreams then and he's like, Well, they're more like my waking dreams and like yeah. You know, my thing is, there's there's been some movies I have seen in my life that I will admittedly be like, I don't really understand, but I can right. appreciate, you know? Yeah. And, like, even with this movie, um, I'll be honest, I wasn't a big fan of the tonal shifts in the movie um, myself. Like, you know, there was these... That really happens cool a lot with his movies. Yeah. Mulholland just, Drive does that, too. Although I, I minded it more in Mulholland Drive than I did for Blue Velvet. Yeah, and it's just, like, one of those things that, like, if you weren't familiar with his artwork, which I hadn't seen anything, but I've heard enough about him just kind of to understand what I was getting myself into a little bit, um, it could be very jarring, because the moments with um, Dorothy is very, they're very dark, very, very dark um, and unsettling, and then the moments where you have Sandy and um, Jeffrey together, it's almost, like, comedic, because they're, like, it's an after-school special, like, you know, and it's... I love that about him, though. It's so... Because he gets so dark, but he gets so bright. Like, it, and that's why I think I like him more than, like, a lot of directors is because he has... I, I live in extremes when I perform. I only ever sang songs that would make you bawl your eyes out or laugh out loud about. Like, I never... And that was, like, I was a musical theater major, so a lot of my stuff was singing. And so, like, I would only pick songs that were, like, really funny or really sad. Like, because it's interesting. Like, yeah. everyone, like, real life isn't quite as exciting as movies. But, like, you want to experience this, like, all-encompassing love and this all-encompassing fear. And I think he does a really good job of showing both sides. He has a little trouble with balance. But that's kind of the great thing about him is that you can kind of laugh at how corny things are. Like, the whole Robin speech was very, like in the mini series of it where they're like why is it so mean like it got very much like that like why are there people like frank booth in this world and i'm just like um are we did we step into a soap opera here kind of what's going on here but, but i love you, him 
so you much. You gotta give it to Laura Dern, though, because that Robin speech, that Robin like, speech. it was, like, borderline, like, corny. Like, you're just like, uh But at the same time, she delivered it with such a, mm-hmm. like, sh- like, she believed it. And that's the big thing. Like, if you as a character, mm-hmm. you're performing it, you can believe it. That's the biggest thing. And it does come back in the end, because, of course, you have that whole, like, the Robins, like, sin- are symbolic to love overcoming everything. And you see that Robin at the end. So it's, like, it's kind of cute. I mean, it's definitely a sweet cap to a pretty dark movie. So. Yeah, and that's, like, I did want to go back to the Quentin thing, though, because if you don't, no. I can't remember what, it, it's an interview for, I think on YouTube it's called David Lynch Canadian TV Interview 1986. But the woman's name is Valerie, by the way. And um, she literally, Valerie, anyways, um, (laughs) she literally says, do you think you're a genius or a really sick person? And he just goes, well, I don't really know, Valerie. (laughs) Whereas, like, Quentin Tarantino has this interview where this lady named Jan, everyone's probably seen it. It's a funny clip. It's very, it's very clickbait. But she's like. Why, why are you glorifying violence? He's like, because it's fun, Jan. Because it's just a movie, Jan. It's, he, like, loses his shit because Quentin Tarantino, I love Quentin Tarantino. Please cast me in your next film, Quentin Tarantino, before you stop making movies. Or David Lynch. I would do a David Lynch movie at the drop of a hat. Um, but I don't think I could get naked like Isabella Rossellini. She's very brave. Um, I- but... I would be a I would be willing to get naked and like a lot of people like look at me because for people who don't see me I'm not a very thin person I've never been thin my You're entire not life fat though at all but, but no I'm not like heavy set but I'm a very average woman like I'm a size 10 like 30 you know double D brawl woman like just very average and but at the same time like I'm like nudity is just nudity like I don't so, I don't know. I always say, like, I would be on Game of Thrones. I'd be like, I could be, like, a, a winch in the tavern. I don't care. Like, you know. But I love Quentin Tarantino. I love, love, love him. I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. But I get very bad secondhand embarrassment from Mr. Tarantino when he acts like an ass sometimes. Yeah. And that's uh, the thing. <laughs> I think Quentin Tarantino is very confident in his movie-making capabilities, but not in himself. And I could be wrong because I don't know him personally. But he gets really, like... Like, angry when people, like, say stuff like that. Whereas David Lynch is just like, I don't know, Valerie. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I love that. I David love him so much. Also, he's the coolest hair. But David Lynch just seems like the type of man that could take a verbal beating and just smile. Like, he would probably be perfect in retail. Like, just perfect. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I've ever seen him yell at about is <laughs> he gets really pissed off when People are like, I watch Twin Peaks on my cell phone on Netflix. He's like, you're not supposed to watch movies on your cell phone? That's a, that's a load of hooey. Like, he's so old-fashioned, but he's so, like, ahead of his time, too. That's why I love him, because, like, that's, I love, and Brittany's the same way. We both kind of like vintage aesthetic and, like, pinup girls and shit. Like, that's definitely our aesthetic. Hence me wearing cat-eye glasses right now. Um but, like, also, like, I, I don't want to actually live in the 50s. Like, uh, and I like creepy movies. You know? And I will say about nudity, uh, well, I guess, okay, I guess we do recommend this movie. I think, I think Brittany, you like this movie yeah. quite a lot. Even yeah. though, like, even though it was a little bit tonal shift. I think I grew to like it the second and third time I watched it even more. 
The total ship was my really own, oh, my really only complaint about the movie. Personally. That's kind of all his movies, <laughs> except yeah. maybe the Elephant Man. I don't think that one is. And Eraserhead does have tonal shifts, but it's very like the same. It's just dark the whole time. So I guess that's why I like. He goes so extreme both ways because he gets so dark, and I. It's kind of like a Shakespearean thing where like. Like, in Romeo and Juliet, like, you have people fight in the beginning. Like, they have, like, a comedic scene, and then they fight. And then um, uh, Romeo and Juliet fall in love, and then there's, like, a fallout. And then, like, they're all happy, and they're joking, and then somebody dies. So you go up and down. Like, that's how you write a good plot is because, like, you're always keeping the audience guessing, like, what the fuck's gonna happen. I hate Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) I do, too, but everybody knows that damn story. They do, they do, and it's so sad. That's the only Shakespeare play like people think of when they hear William Shakespeare. Because I'm like, McBee is where it's at. But also, I would love to do Titus Andronicus. I always oh, want to play the daughter that gets her tongue ripped out. Uh, off topic, on topic. That's one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen. Film is the- I know. Anthony yeah, Hopkins like, movie. The trees for the hands, and like there's just blood, and it's really. It's blood's like a ribbon that flows out of her it's mouth. Beautiful, I love it. I, I wish you do Titus up. Andronicus, the the <laughs> Julie Taymor one, which yes. apparently like was a big old flop theatrically, but it's gorgeous. I love it, and it's honestly very entertaining. Like they cast a lot of really good people in it, and people like make sense. Also, uh, Jessica Lange, 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 American Horror Story. Yes. <laughs> you know her. She's yeah. like the baddest bitch around on American Horror Story. Like the Supreme Queen. Every Just time we like, see Supreme Pizzas, we now go Supreme. Like Supreme. Yeah. yeah. I love her. She's in it. She plays um I can't remember her character's name. It's a lot of like Roman names because it's based on a historical thing. Yeah. It's one of his historical plays, but it's really fucking depressing because like his whole family gets ripped apart. Yeah, like, it's a sad one. It's like it's it's one of the greatest Shakespeare tragedies, but for some reason it just falls into the radar compared to um, Hamlet and McBee and um, Othello. So, but it's still a great play, and it's it, I mean that movie is a great adaptation of that play. So, yeah, I and I like Julie Taymor a lot. Um, yeah. She's a really good director. She's very underrated. I feel like like yeah, she she's the one that. Started the Lion King Broadway show and did Across the Universe and Titus Andronicus. And then she tried to do Spider-Man Turn On oh, the Dark. And she did Frida, too. With um... Oh, did she do Frida? No wonder I liked Frida. I like her visual style. She's very yeah. much like David Lynch. She's very like art in a movie. Like, it's gorgeous to look at. Even if something terrible is happening, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but I guess we are going to get into spoilers because, oh, yeah. uh, like, there's a whole lot to this movie that um you can't really talk about without spoilers sorry so if you haven't seen the movie yet go watch it on amazon prime or i think it's also on the criterion channel which i finally got because there's some movies that i want to see that's on there and nowhere else and they have a lot of like creepy they have like a lot of old david lynch like short films that he started doing like before Eraserhead, and um yeah a lot of like weird films and foreign films that you don't usually hear about so Criterion Collection has their own channel. They used to be on Hulu, and now they have their own channel, so you have to pay more. Ugh. But um, I would highly suggest that. But yeah, okay, so... 
do, do we want to go through the plot or do we want to just want to like talk about it? I I kind of want to talk about it. Um, because okay. I figure if we talk about, it, we can hit on a lot of key things that happen in the plot too. Okay. Well, so I will say we should probably say the main characters just so it doesn't get confusing. Yeah, I know you've already seen it. But there's Kyle McLaughlin plays Jeffrey Beaumont. He's the college student that comes home to take care of his family. And uh, he finds an ear in a field. Yeah. And uh, takes it to a detective. And he's calm dog. about it. Yeah, he's, he's so calm. It. He even, like, gets a bag to put in. I was like, where is the bag coming from? But okay. Like, so he doesn't get his fingerprints on it as much. Um, and then he meets uh, Sandy, who's the daughter of the detective that he gives the ear to. And she's like, yeah, there's this, like, mysterious nightclub singer, Dorothy Valens. And, like, I don't know. I know that there's something creepy going on about her. So they're not sure if she's, like, involved in crime and if she's involved in murder or what. So they go to spy on her. And she's played by Isabella Rossellini. She's the blue lady of – and I can't remember the – I forgot to write down the um, the place that they went to with the it's restaurant. Like, was called. It's like the something club. The – yeah. The- the solo club or something like that is something yeah it's really basic it's really basic yeah and then so you find out that dorothy valens is being blackmailed by frank booth who's played by dennis hopper this movie revitalized his career by the way and um she they've kidnapped her son and husband um and they're blackmailing her to do like sexual favors for dennis hopper's character uh frank booth and that's those are kind of the main characters there are other recurring characters they have it's very twin peaksy where they have like these quirky like side characters but that's really the only people that are important to the yeah. plot. there's just other people that kind of come and go um what did you want to talk about first Brittany? since you picked this movie um that is a good question um i guess there's just so many interesting things that happen in this movie and i guess the i guess we can kind of talk about the first thing i noticed is that the characters are kind of um the female and male characters are almost inverses of each other because you have dorothy and you have sandy and dorothy a lot of film critics also think that maybe her name is derivative of dorothy from the wizard of oz um it like definitely she, is yeah because like she, she loves stepped, wizard of oz yeah and it's like she stepped into this world Yes, you've gone. Oh, I'm sorry. But also, she uh, is based on Judy Garland. So that's another reason. That makes more sense now, seeing the look. Like, how she looks in this movie. Because, okay, Isabella Rosalini is a beautiful woman. And she's Ingrid Bergman's daughter. And she looks yeah. so much like her mother. And she speaks so much like her mother. She sounds like her mother. That, like, when oh. you close your eyes... Yeah, I figured out why I thought she was French because she was born in Italy, grew up in France with a German and Italian speaking parents because her dad's Italian and her mom's German and she grew up in France. So she has like this this gorgeous European accent. Just oh, like yeah. Oh, I love her. And she's funny. She's a funny lady. Yeah, she is very self-depreciating in interviews, which I, I love that kind of humor myself. Um, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but she's absolutely gorgeous. She has a voice that you could listen to her read the phone book, and it would be enjoyable. Um, but she's just very like, oh, like, um, I was watching an interview with her and Colin O'Brien, and he made a joke about teeth, and she's like, oh, my teeth are crooked, and I have a chip one because my brother threw a phone at my face when I was 11. And, like, she just, like... It's very, like, just someone you can imagine having a conversation with. Like, she doesn't yes. seem uppity. She seems real. But it's interesting because this movie, 
she's like she's pretty but it's almost like a alarming type of pretty like she's not approachable she has these very like it's like this blue eyeshadow and this mm-hmm. red lipstick it's a very rough makeup like your your makeup is soft her makeup is stark in this movie mm-hmm. and she's going through a rough time in her life yeah it's like it's she's she's almost scary in a way I don't yes know she's very way. fierce I, yeah. I did write something else about like the two versions of women yeah because like uh, Isabella Rossellini's character is like she is she's like a like a almost a scary woman but she's also like almost a mad woman because yeah. she's being forced into this terrible situation and she literally goes crazy throughout the movie um, she has like a mental breakdown and which was actually inspired by an actual thing that happened to David Lynch when he was a kid like he was I, I don't remember if it was when he was in like he grew up in um Philadelphia for a little while he did not like living in Philadelphia apparently it was very rough when he lived there um but at some point he and his brother were walking down the street in their neighborhood and there was just this naked woman just walking down the street oh my and it like scarred him for life it made him cry and like because I don't know like if she was like great like I don't I mean he's a little kid so he doesn't really know but I don't know if it was like a crazy woman or like I'm not trying to be like say crazy but like if she had a mental problem yeah exactly I don't know if she had a mental problem or if she, like, just wanted to be naked, but it really scarred him. And there's a point where, like, Dorothy Valens just, like, shows up completely naked and just, it's like, you know, it kind of, like, I I was trying to explain to people, I was like, there is nudity in this movie, but it doesn't seem unwarranted because she's having a mental breakdown. And it just makes it feel real because, like, people really do, like, get naked and have mental breakdowns, like... People don't think about, let me put my clothes on and do my makeup when you're, like, having a fucking mental breakdown. Yeah. It's very real, which can be very frightening to some people. And that's probably, I mean, the lady who probably interviewed David Lynch saw that, and she was scared of it and didn't understand it. Like, and I can understand that. Um, You just, in a professional environment, you should have conducted an interview better. But, um, but yeah. yeah. But also, like, Elizabeth Rossellini, like, chose to be like she she's the one that was like so the first scene that her and dennis hopper worked on together was the ritualistic rape scene and she did not tell him that she wasn't going to wear anything under the robe and she just like she actually was naked under the robe and so like when she spreads her legs out dennis hopper had no idea that she was not going to have panties on so like she's not afraid and if she's okay with it i don't really understand how you can be offended by it you know yeah like, it'd be one thing if she was, like, a young actress. Like, it, like we talked about Last Tango Single in Paris, Paris, how that actress, like, said that she felt really, like, sexually abused and taken advantage of because she was a young actress and she was working with these two big, powerful men. And, like, uh, Isabella Rossellini is very sure of herself, like Dorothy Valens. Yeah. And she's very, like, she was 33 when she did this movie. It's not like she's a child. No, she was, definitely you know, not. Whereas Laura Dern's character is sure of herself. I'm sorry, you're talking. No, I'm sorry. You're good, you're good, you're going. Sorry. I was going to say, Laura Dern's character, Sandy, is also sure of herself, but she's much more of like the virginal uh, ingenue character. Yeah, and what was great about these women characters too, so you have like a, like I said, it's a very literary stark contrast where you have Dorothy and Sandy. Sandy is like probably an homage to Greece. Like she even looks kind of like Sandy from Greece. Yeah. Um, but Dorothy is, you know, she has the dark clothing. She's a brunette. Um, Sandy has light clothing. She's a blonde. 
But Dorothy is, like, very fierce, but she's vulnerable. And then, like, Sandy's very sweet, but she's still strong and capable. And it's I, like, yeah. No, you, and I just, I love that. Because it was like, these women were very polar opposite, but there was still, they had a lot of the same character traits. Mm-hmm. Despite that. And they, they did that, too, with Jeffrey and Frank, because Jeffrey is very good and he doesn't want to hurt anybody he doesn't get any pleasure from violence um but he's also willing to like uh break into somebody's house and like frank has absolutely no limits and is lives by violence and i think there's a breaking point for jeffrey where uh isabella rossellini's character she's so fucked up in the head at this point that she kind of like keeps calling him by her husband's name who's kidnapped and she's just like i think she's so lonely for sex that isn't rape that she like has sex with jeffrey beaumont and she like asks him to like hit her like and she's probably because she feels guilty for cheating on her husband um but he like really gets upset because he's like oh my god i'm like becoming like frank yeah hitting her because he doesn't want to hit her he refuses and then she like makes him hit her it's it's a that's probably the worst i think that's maybe worse than the rape scene or maybe i've just seen this movie enough times and and something i don't know if i got a different interpretation of this so i really 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 tried to because it was something that was so interesting to me i tried to really looked up sexuality in terms of blue velvet and there's and for it being such a movie that has a couple of heavy-handed sex scenes, um, there's not a lot of like just straight talks about sexuality. What I got, and this may be a controversial opinion, um, and uh, you know, if someone out there is an expert on it, please correct me. I'm I'm not trying to spread false information, but I thought that may. So when a woman is raped, and sometimes when women are afraid to come forward because they've been raped, it's because their body enjoys it. Like, maybe they orgasm during the rape. And it confuses yeah. them how they don't want to have sex. They don't, they're they being raped, but their body still reacts. And that's what bodies do. And I thought maybe through rape, Dorothy had found that she liked Mac. Macochism, mac- I can't pronounce the damn oh, word. Uh, masochism. Masochism, thank masochism. you. So maybe Dorothy didn't want to have sex with Frank, but she did enjoy the violent aspect of it. Oh, and yeah. That's why, and that's why she was asking um, Jeffrey to hit her because she did enjoy that part of it. She just didn't enjoy it with Frank. And there was some confusion there. How she could even enjoy the sex with a man who did kidnap her child, who did kidnap her husband, who was raping her, but she was enjoying aspects of it is yeah. what I thought was causing a lot of the emotional and mental stress on her, too. Yeah, she, like, she has a mental a, gymnastics she's going through because she's just, like, so, so messed up. It's so sad. And she said in an interview, she's like, this movie really is about abuse towards women and not yeah. saying it's good, but exploring, like, what that leads to and I, I mean there's a lot of like it's so interesting because this movie's very obviously about like the deep-seated dark underbelly of like society but like suburbia specifically and like there's like these weird menacing scenes like there's a scene 
where Mr. Beaumont has the stroke, which at first I thought like something hit him in the back of the head. And then I was like, oh, no, he had a stroke because like they were something with the hose. But yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but then then there's like finding the ear in the field. That's fucking weird. And then there's like this weird scene that they're just talking about a crime. And like they cut to the scene where this drug dealer was shot by Frank's people. And there's this girl that she fell and she broke both of her legs. And it's absurdly, like, brutal, but also kind of, like, quirky. Yeah. I mean, like, like almost comedic because they just, like, all of a sudden there's, like, oh, here's this girl and her legs are, like, all akimbo. And she's, like, yelling, like, help me. And, like, her boyfriend is a drug dealer who's, like, been shot. And it's really weird. And it's just, like, this menace to it. And I think, like... It's kind of showing, like, you never know what's going on underneath in somebody's life. And, like, since, like, Dorothy Valen, she's, like, this very proud, very confident woman who just, like, is confident in herself on the surface. But inside, she is so fragile and vulnerable because she's being abused. And I think there are a lot of women out there who have been abused and put on a, a good face and pretend that they're fine. And, like, a lot of people, like, have no idea until, like, they end up, you know, getting a divorce or, like, worse, like, when you hear of, like, mur- people being murdered after, like, and that nobody knew that for years they were being abused because they were yeah. so good at hiding it because they felt like it was their job to hide it. Yeah. And for her, she thinks if she doesn't do this for Frank, you know, her kid and her husband are going to be murdered. But also, like, I think she... She does seem to like it because she almost like becomes Frank to Jeffrey. Like when she discovers him spying on her, she takes a butcher knife and is like, you take off your clothes now. And it's like, she needs some power. So like, he's kind of helping her find her power again. Yeah. I guess as, as a woman and as a person. Yeah. Through sex. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that like is, uncomfortable to a lot of people um who that there is kinks um human sexuality is a very uh the first thing and not everyone's going to get there understand it and there's still aspects of it that no matter how much research is done we don't know why we take sexual gratification and certain acts or thoughts and um so yeah there is a darkness to that and i think it i think that's something that is so uncomfortable watching this movie for a lot of people yeah i don't know why the scene i think also because like he's so not into hitting her yeah. And he kind of feels like he is, but I think the only reason he's into it is because she's liking it and he's trying to please her. Also, he's in love with Sandy, but Sandy has a boyfriend. And yeah. apparently, I'm glad they cut out Megan Mullally's character because I don't think I would like Jeffrey Beaumont if he had a girlfriend. I don't you know? feel like I like Jeffrey much anyway, to be honest. Um, I, I feel like, I don't know if you got this, but there's definitely this overlying idea of what happens to a young man when he is exposed to toxic masculinity. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's like when he's around Sandy and when he's around Dorothy, there is this very caring, sweet quality to him. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things like there's a great line where Frank is in Jeffrey's face. And the line is actually, um, you like me, but it sounds like you're just like me. And mm-hmm. there, it's very interesting. Like, is it like you like me or is it you're just like me? 
And um, I think there's a fear to that, that um, Jeffrey, when he does hit Dorothy uh, in the throes of passion, that he's kind of afraid he's becoming Frank. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Like, for example, there's another part in the movie where um, he tells Sandy, he's like, you're a really nice girl. And she's like, you are too. And then he, he just like, it's like a beat. And she's like, you, you know what I mean? And it's like, but there's almost, he's not masculine like the other men in the movie are masculine. Right. Yeah. yeah no and I think that I think for his character because this really is it, there is a plot to this movie which I I enjoy that there is a plot you can follow but it's not so much about the plot as the character journey like Dorothy's journey through this madness and then like Sandy's journey of like becoming more independent and choosing love that she wants and not that she's expected to have and also like being a brave woman and she's like you know growing up and then there's also like um Jeffrey's journey of trying to figure out who he wants to be as a man and he thinks that he like Sandy and then Sandy's like well I have a boyfriend so like she's a good girl and he's like okay so then he like thinks it's okay to sleep with Dorothy but his heart isn't there so Dorothy is just sexual gratification even though he does care about her as a friend he's not in love with her but he cares about her and he wants to help her but he only has sex with her because he's like a horny young guy. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, if if Isabella Rossellini walked up to you, would you be like, no? Like, I think everybody would because she's very attractive. And in that point, like, he's just being weak. And then he meets Frank, and they try to like. There's this terrible sequence where like take him for a scary car ride, which David Lynch has a lot of scary car rides in movies. Like, I don't know what happened to him in a car, but there's some really cool lighting tricks with that. And then he sees, like, how shitty Frank is, and he sees that he's starting to be like him, and he rejects it, and he goes back. And in in the end, he goes back to Sandy, but not before her finding out he slept with Isabella Rossellini and her leaving her boyfriend. And then, like, she does forgive him, which is why I like Sandy better. I do like Sandy better than him, but I think because he goes to the journey and comes out being a good person, and he does apologize for what happened with Isabella Rossellini because technically they weren't dating at the time. Like he wasn't really cheating on her. Yeah. Because I think she said it, I have a boyfriend. I think what bothered me is the way it was filmed because you have the no ma'am. You have the sex scene with with Dorothy. And then I think the oh, next no. scene And then the next scene is him like talking to Sandy about wanting to take her out. Yeah. I mean yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean and I think that's part of having to make the movie so much shorter than he wanted it to be because he wanted it to be four hours and it ended yeah. up being like two hours. Um, I think that's more of it than anything. I think it's more editing. Yeah. Um, because like, I feel like Twin Peaks season three is a lot less of that like abruptness. But also like there are a lot of people who go through like instant changes. Like they're like, oh, I really like this person. But oh, this person's kind of hot, so I'm going to go look at them, and then they realize what they've lost, and they go straight back. So, like, I, I could see this just being, like, a stupid guy, because he's, like, in college, and college guys are dumb. Sorry, college yeah. guys. You're dumb. You're dumb. Your brain will not fit fixed until you're 26. I don't know why I'm doing this accent. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, you, you're dumb when you're until you're, like, 26, and your brain stops develop, starts developing. Like, it's you make stupid decisions. That's why people have such dramatic relationships in high school. 
Um, but I like that Laura Dern's character, like, she makes the rational, like, she thinks about, it. she, like, walks away when Isabella Rossellini shows up naked, and then she's like, you put your disease in me, and, like, she obviously figures out, like, okay, so you slept with her, and you took advantage of her, but she also puts her shit together, grabs her own sweater, and covers her up, and gets her into the car, and sits in a front seat with a naked woman who slept with her boyfriend, like, she is, like, like she's getting girlfriend points for this. Like, she's, yeah. like, the best girl. And she cares about her, which is she really, does. really mature. Really yeah, mature. she's so mature. She's more mature in that moment than Isabella Rossellini's character is, than Dorothy is. Like, she's just given up, and she's, but she's yeah. also coming for help. Because, like, I don't, I don't really understand how she, if she escaped, I, Frank, I think. Cause I she thought has, like Frank had beaten her and thrown her on the lawn. Because isn't she bruised? Uh, well, she's bruised up, but like she shows up like out of nowhere because they think they don't think it's they think it's Frank behind them, but it's actually um, the quarterback boyfriend that Laura Dern's character just dumped. Yeah. So like then she just shows up and they're like, "Oh, is that your mom?" Which was a pretty funny line. I was like, oh, "It's not his mom." Yeah, exactly. Um, his mom just went around naked in the front yard. Right. You know, and then like so they go to her. They take him to her house, uh, Sandy's house, because her dad's a detective. And, like, they get her help. And then she, like, leaves the situation because she's really upset. But then, like, she thinks about it. She's like, well, I do love you. I just couldn't see that, that like that. And he's like, I know. And I'm so sorry. Like, they actually have an adult conversation. It's kind of like they become mature. And then, like, the next thing that happens is when they're, like, trying. Like, he ends up, like, killing Frank. And she ends up, like, going to get her dad. And she, like, takes charge because she calls her dad and says, like, hey, I need to talk to my Detective Williams. And they're like, oh, he's not here. She's like, get him on the phone, damn it. Like, she's just like, get him there. And, yeah. like, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great, uh, like, coming of age kind of story. But, like, it's really, like, it's really an awful way to come to of age, though. Like, yeah. it's really shitty. Um, but I do think, like, everyone has their own journey. And I think that's why I like it. Except for Frank. Frank doesn't learn from his mistakes. And then he ends up getting a bullet to right to the forehead. Yep. I almost, okay, it's not also, so Frank is, like, a great movie villain. Like, he is psychotic, but it's, the way Dennis Hopper plays him, you know there is some fucking emotional trauma there. Well, uh, so Dennis Hopper and Isabella Rossellini, uh, but Dennis Hopper especially told David Lynch when he read the script, he said, you have to let me play this part. I am Frank. And I was like Dennis Hopper had kind of cleaned up his life by the time he was in this movie, but he used to like, I think he said he used to drink 23 beers a day and like a fifth of rum, maybe not a fifth, but like a lot of rum. And he used to do cocaine. Like he went through some really shitty times. And I think it was kind of between easy writer and doing blue velvet. And he kind of got himself cleaned up right before blue velvet, but he's, he's been through some rough shit. And I think he really, like, knew what it was like to be, like, a total asshole to people that you maybe... I mean, he obviously has an obsession with Dorothy. I wouldn't say he cares about her. But to him, that's probably as close as love gets because he uses people he cares about. Yeah. But he has this obsession with her. Also, he has some deep-seated Oedipal complexes. And that's a whole other theme of the movie, too. We'll get into that later. What was kind of, like, sticking out to me is, like, my favorite scene in the movie is when Suave Ben is singing in Dreams. 
And, you know, you have him holding his, like, little lighted microphone, and it's, like, great. Mm -hmm. But then you see Frank, and he's softly singing, and his eyes are just welling up with these big tears, and he has this faraway look in his eyes. And you just know that that song is evoking some kind of memory. And so there's, like, I don't know what kind of backstory he came up with for Frank, but it's a damn good one. It because is really he is awful person, but you see this humanity in scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very complex. Also, by the way, in that scene, apparently uh, Dennis Hopper was supposed to sing that song. He wasn't huh? supposed to be singing along. But the guy that played Ben, is he was a child actor, De- Dean Stockwell. And he was friends with Dennis Hopper. They'd been friends for years. And he was helping him run lines, and he kept forgetting the lyrics so then, like, they were, like, rehearsing on set with Lynch, and Lynch could see that Dean Stockwell knew all the lyrics, and Dennis Hopper only knew some of them, and, like, he was like, okay, let's switch it around. You sing it, and you just mouth, I mean, they're, it's, it's Roy Orbison, so it's, neither one of them is singing, but they're both lip syncing, but Ben's doing the performance, and Dennis Hopper's character is just kind of, like, you know. He's in it. In it. it, just like when he watches Dorothy Valens sing Blue Velvet while he like is with like handling like a creepy child, like with a blankie with like the blue velvet from her robe after he raped her, and then he's like watching her perform. It's creepy, Ugh. but uh, yeah, he has very complex things. Also, there's a big Oedipal complex theory of this movie and I think it's pretty obvious when you see the ritualistic sex scene it's not funny to have an edible complex yeah it's not it's as a theater major we do have to make fun of it sometimes but it's not a very funny thing I'm sure people know like what who Oedipus is um and I wouldn't say it's it's not a straight Oedipus story but there's definitely Oedipal overtones and Oedipus if you don't know is the man who the fates told his parents that your son will be doomed to sleep with his mother and murder his father. And so they give him away to another royal family because I think they're royalty and they give him away to another royal family. And then through circumstances, it comes true and it leads to terrible tragedy. So, like, it's everybody's dream to marry their mother and kill their father. Um, But I don't really think every man's dream, not women. Like, it's like a male thing. Yeah. Yes, it's terrible. It's terrible. I agree. The dogs are just agreeing with how terrible it is to sleep with your mother and also kill your father. So basically, in that theory, which I've heard a lot of people describe, Frank is Jeffrey's new father since his dad's sick. And Dorothy is his new mom. And, like, he actually watches his dad, quote-unquote, and his mom, quote-unquote, have sex uh, from the closet. It's creepy AF. And also, Frank literally calls Dorothy mommy when, like, he wants to have sex with her. And he tells her baby wants to fuck. Yeah. And then, then he says he switches it to daddy at some point. He also, in the car, it's like whenever he huffs the stuff that's in the canister. And, like, I know you probably read the same thing that they originally were going to make it helium. And then David Lynch was like, no, that'd be too funny. It wasn't David Lynch that didn't suggest the helium. It was Dennis Hopper. David Lynch wanted it to be helium and Dennis Hopper was like I just don't think that's going to be very menacing if my voice is like this and I'm like saying baby what's the fuck it's just funny so um, Dennis Hopper told him what 
What was the kind of... It's actually supposed to be something else. It's like a club gas that they were like... He was like, oh, I know what gases are in here because he was a drug user. And it's like yeah, some yeah. kind of disco gas or something like that. Yeah, it's supposed to be nitric oxide. But yeah... Uh, David Lynch had no idea what it was, and so apparently Dennis Hopper was just like, just trust me. Don't even worry about it. But that's like the go-go juice he, like, sucks up. It's so fucking weird. It's such a weird, bizarre scene. It definitely, if if you've never been in a sexual situation before, don't watch Blue Velvet. It will definitely scare you off sex. Yeah. At least heterosexual sex. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's pretty creepy, yeah, and also the fact that that was the first scene they filmed together. Yeah, I mean, I, it's like, get, get the jitters out of the way, huh? It reminds me, I read somewhere that, uh, when Kate Winslet first met Leonardo DiCaprio on the scene of Titanic, she flashed him, because they <laughs> knew they were gonna have, so it's like, well, there you go, just get that out of the way, huh? Um, everything else is a cakewalk from here. Another cool thing was that um, basically this movie came off uh, the heels of the failure of the movie Dune. And Dune is like a science fiction epic. And I remember I had like classmates reading it in eighth grade and it was huge. And um, basically it was a flop because they were, it was kind of like trying to, like if Gone with the Wind, which I know everyone hates Gone with the Wind right now, I'm sorry, but if, if the movie, if the, book was like an hour and a half and not like three hours long you'd be missing a whole lot of shit and it um, wouldn't make a whole lot of sense i read the gone with the wind book and got like 78 ar points for that you guys remember when accelerated reader was a thing yeah. um but uh the book it's pretty long yeah <laughs> it's, it's really like, long i have it too even in the three hour movie there's a lot of shit that was cut yeah there's book. like three she has like two other children that like they yeah. don't even mention Mm-hmm. And I read there's also a sequel called Scarlet, which uh, Scarlet actually becomes a better person in Scarlet, uh, whereas she's still kind of a spoiled brat at the end of Gone with the Wind. She doesn't really like learn her lesson. But in Scarlet, she actually learns to be a better person. Yeah. And like she takes care of her children and um, uh, maybe she and Rhett end up together. I don't know. Um, which- also. And also, how dirty is I know this real quick that uh, Scarlet was not written by Margaret Mitchell because she no. was dead when the book was made, but it was approved by the Margaret Mitchell Foundation. So, I mean, they gave their stamp of approval for that sequel. That's why it's still an official Gone with the Wind sequel. Hmm. Also, in the miniseries, which is actually pretty good, I actually like it. It's kind of corny. If you've ever seen The Blue and the Gray, which is another like Civil War miniseries from the 80s, um, it's 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 corny, but it's good. Um, uh, and Gregory Peck plays Abraham Lincoln in The Blue and the Gray, which is funny. Um, but in Scarlet, Timothy Dalton plays Rhett, and he might be better than the original Rhett. Not really. Clark Gable is pretty cool. Um, but yeah. But um, so Dune failed, and uh, De Laurentiis, who was Dino De Laurentiis, was the guy that was producing Dune. But he still really believed in David Lynch. And he didn't give Lynch, like, final cut of Dune, which is why Lynch blames its failure on. But um, when he, afterwards, he was like, I'm going to give you the money to do Blue Velvet, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. So he gave David Lynch complete creative freedom, which he shines through. He needs creative freedom. 
before he does anything. And um, when De Laurentiis uh, finally saw the film, he was so afraid that no distribution company was going to touch it that he made his own distribution company that later went on to distribute Manhunter, which we talked I about didn't last time. This. I didn't know that either. I was like, what? Manhunter is a great movie, by the way, which we talked about before, but I love that it movie. Is. It's really good. I really like it. Um, yeah. So, and it originally it was four hours long, and also the word "fuck" is said like fifty something times, and most every time by Frank, except for like once. Like every other line is "fuck." There's supposedly a. I need to watch it. There's an SNL skit of Dennis Hopper as Frank. <gasps> uh, yeah. Oh no! I want to watch that. I know. SNL we need to watch Frank. that now. Oh my god! <laughs> I. I really, like, I had friends that used to quote, like, the Pabst Blue Ribbon line all the time. Because, yeah. like, when we were in college, Pabst Blue Ribbon was roll into, like, I don't know, everybody drank Pabst Blue Ribbon. Blue it's cheap. It's Rhythm. cheap. It's cheap, but, like, everybody was like, PBR, you want PBR? I don't really like PBR. You know so. what's funny, though, is, like, I'm not a beer, big beer drinker, but I remember one time I was at a concert and uh, my friend bought me a PBR, and it was like the best thing ever because it was like really cold. <laughs> it was like yeah, oh, like if I'm yeah. hot, I can deal with it. But I like sours because I don't like the hopsy ap- aftertaste of it. I will say uh, I did love. I don't know why he did this scene the way he did, but after Swabin sings in dreams, uh, we talked about it at the very beginning of this episode. I don't know if that will get cut or not, but he um. He says, now it's dark. And then he just has like a, it's like a, a switch flip. And he's like, let's fuck. I'll fuck anything that moves. And he literally disappears out of the shot. Yeah. Like, it's the, I loved it. It's I loved it. Uh, yeah, David Lynch does a lot of that shit. I, I love him because he like, he really like experiments with film. You get this feeling of an experimental film. And by the way, did you know that Mel Brooks was the one that got him to do the elephant man? No, I did not know that. He saw a racer head in a screening and he came out and he, because, um, Anne Bancroft was in the elephant man who was married to, uh, Mel Brooks until she died. I love Anne Bancroft. The miracle worker was one of my favorite movies, but most people, um, probably know her from the graduate she's uh, mrs robinson i love her in that too but i grew up i was a very big fan of helen keller and the helen keller story when i was a little girl i was very obsessed with helen keller and and um what's Anne's name Brancroft, you said no 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 no. the actual and sullivan oh. annie sullivan. Oh, Ann sullivan i thought she was really cool and that's who Anne bancroft played in the original the miracle worker she got an oscar for it um, she's one of my favorite actresses. And also I think she and Mel Brooks were like the cutest couple ever. Um, but, uh, she read the script for, uh, the elephant man and somebody told Mel Brooks, Oh, have you seen David Lynch? And he's like, I don't know who that is. Oh, come watch Eraserhead. So he went and saw Eraserhead and David Lynch was like there at the screening and he came out and he like ran to David Lynch and like hugged him. He was like, you're crazy. You're a maniac. You have to do the elephant man. Cause he was producing it. I was like, oh, hell yeah, Mel Brooks. I love that man. I love Blazing Saddles. I wish a we lot could of people don't it. get satires at all. Yeah, we've, yeah, I think we've talked about this. I love satire, but people just don't get it. And, you know, they're going to be sticks in the mud, and then they'll ask you, are you a madman, Mr. Lynch? And he'll just go, I don't know, Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> I 
love David Lynch. I do. I he's really great. I don't know. And also, like, I have become obsessed with Isabella Rossellini because she is so effing hilarious. And by the way, do you know how she got the part? Yeah. So I I I think I saw a speech at the um at the governor's ball last year where it he said he went up to her and said you could be Ingrid Bergman's daughter. And then someone was like, did you hear about that story? No, I was thinking, like, how she got the part was, according to her, uh, I'm sure it's partially that, but she already knew David Lynch. But he didn't want her for the part originally. He wanted Helen Mirren. Yeah. And he asked her for for Helen Mirren's phone number because she knew Helen Mirren. She's like, I'm not giving you her phone number. That's weird. And so then he came to her, like, the next day was like, well, if you won't give me Helen Mirren's number, then you have to play the part. Because, like, I don't know who else can do it since you won't give me her phone number. So I thought that was hilarious. Also, they dated briefly for a while. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know um, until I was researching that Kyle McLaughlin and Laura Dern dated for two years. They met on the set of this movie. Yeah, it seems like he dates his co-stars a lot. He does. He He had... Uh, there was a whole issue with Twin Peaks because he, so there's, um, so there's Laura Palmer, who's the homecoming queen that gets murdered. That's, it's in the very beginning of this thing. Mm-hmm. So that's not really, that's the whole point of the, the, God, why, spoiler, 29 year spoiler. Yeah. I mean, like everybody knows Laura Palmer gets, um, but it's the whole mystery of it is who killed Laura Palmer, the homecoming queen. And, um, that's why Kyle McLaughlin's character comes there. Well, then there's her best friend, which Donna, Donna, Donna Hayward. And then there's this girl, um, who's my favorite character, Audrey Horn. And they both, they're both brunettes and they've got like short curly hair, but they're different. And, um, Kyle McLaughlin was dating the woman who played Donna, but his character has a romantic interest in Audrey. Which is weird. Like, it's very, like, she's, like, a high schooler, but she's, like, one of those girls that, like, dresses like a sweet little angel when she goes to school. And then she, like, is, like, a sexed-up sex kitten, like, at school. Like, she's one of those people. Like, what is that? It's one of the scary, I think it's Scary Movie, where uh, Shannon Doherty's character, is it Shannon Doherty's character? I think she, like, she goes to school. She's like, bye, daddy. She, like, rips all her clothes off. And she's wearing, like, a really skanky outfit. And she's like, oh, my God. And, like, she, like, kind of does that, too. Like, she goes to school and she puts on high heels. Um, But she's, like, she is, like, really interested in Agent Cooper, who's played by Kyle McLaughlin. And, like, it really seemed like they were going to let them be the big romantic story. Uh, And then Donna has a romantic plotline with Laura Palmer's, like, not boyfriend, but the guy she was having an affair with. And they kind of fall in love through mourning over Laura. And um, so, but I don't think the woman that played Donna was okay with him having scenes with the woman who played Audrey. And so they all of a sudden, in like the second half of season two, they bring in two other love interests. One is Heather Graham and one is Billy Zane for those two characters because they're like no no no, she's too young for agent cooper and we're just gonna quilch that but it's actually because like she had a problem with them ending up on screen together which i was like you're playing donna what did you you think donna was gonna end up with agent cooper like so it kind of the, the whole problem with twin peaks is the first season was untouched by producers pretty much the second season producers started meddling and david lynch like walked away and mark frost was trying to pick up the pieces and um, 
stuff like that happened. Like the producer's like, oh yeah, let's do this and let's do that. And like, and also they tell you who killed Laura Palmer in the middle of the second season, which it was supposed to be the arc of the show. So season three kind of fixes a lot of stuff, but um, it's a journey, but it's kind of about fixing stuff. But so like, yeah, he had a problem with that. And then she wouldn't come back. The girl that played Donna I can't remember the actress's name, but she's done a lot of stuff since then. A lot of people from Twin Peaks are in stuff now. Um, the girl that played Audrey played um, Luke Dane's daughter's mom, like his baby mama, in uh, a couple seasons of Gilmore Girls, which is funny. She's played in a lot of stuff. She's also in that terrible Wish Upon movie, and I was like, you're too good for this! You were Audrey Horn, damn it! Because she's a good actress. But, like, yeah, it. Donna never came back to do Firewalk with me. And Kyle McLaughlin got busy so he could only do some scenes. So they kind of worked with what they had for Firewalk with me, which was the movie between season two and season three. There were like 30 years between the two seasons. So it's a very different season three. Anyways, yeah. I just really like Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, but this is a precursor to Twin Peaks. There's a lot of similar uh, themes like dark sea underbelly of this suburban northwestern town. They have very similar themes. Like there's diners in both of them that everybody goes to. Like if you watch, if you've seen Twin Peaks and you watch Blue Velvet, you're like, hmm, I think this is where he began to get the ideas for it. Um, but yeah, I it, there's definitely a suspension of disbelief in this movie. There's like very silly scenes, but everybody's also like believable, but everybody's like heightened reality so and there's a lot of voyeurism yeah like a lot of people watching each other which is really creepy it kind of reminds me i can't remember what it's called but there's like some movie where it's like a cameraman is like murdering people with his peeping camera. tom peeping tom thank you thank you it was a it that peeping tom when it came out was like one of those movies that people were like what the fuck? Like, they were so mad. They believed that this movie was, like, the end of American civilization because it was so awful. Because who would take pictures of naked women and kill them and then take pictures of their body? Like, it was, like, a big deal when it came out. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Now, um, if we watch it in 2020, we'd be like, oh, this is nothing. But, like, it was... Hilarious. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine why this one was rated X. R, yes. I don't think it's worth an X. Except for me... Maybe the full frontal nudity. I mean, she's naked a lot, but I just think that's a little bit obsessive. Well, what's interesting is usually when you see movies get slapped. Okay, we're not going to really go down this rabbit hole, but um, there's a documentary I love. <laughs> there's a documentary I fucking love, and it's oh. called um, This Film Is Not Yet Rated. Yeah, and I know what you're talking about. Usually, um, and I cannot find that to stream anywhere um, because I was trying to get Taylor to watch it. But yeah, um, it used to be available to stream, and I was gonna go watch it because everyone always talks about it, but I couldn't find it. Maybe I need to get like a Express VPN or Nord VPN so I can see stuff in yeah. pretend I'm in a different country. And right. See stuff. Well, the thing is that they discuss in that movie a lot is that usually female, like, nudity, even full frontal, doesn't tend to get X-rated. It's more like when we see penis. That's when it's, like, a big deal. Which I notice that that is a thing that nowadays we are starting to see more penis in TV and movies. But up until I was probably a older teenager, I didn't remember ever seeing a penis in a movie. I 
yeah, I'm trying to think of the first time I saw a penis in a movie. It, it probably was Game of Thrones, honestly. Like, I even think forgetting, though... forgetting Sarah Marshall was probably one of my <gasps> Oh, first... yeah! yeah! I forgot! Oh, and Bart Simpson in the Simpsons movie, but that was a cartoon penis, and it was funny, <laughs> so whatever. Um, yeah, speaking of, like, if you've seen Watchmen, the TV show, like, or the movie, like, um, Dr. Manhattan is just naked and you just see blue dick all the time yeah and supposedly that was really billy curry's penis whether it actually was or not i don't know oh, in but the movie yeah yeah so the movie's but, not as good as the tv series though so i prefer the dr manhattan of the tv series he's a lot less of a jackass yeah the tv series as much as i love how be- visually stunning the movie was and it recreated some very iconic scenes from the graphic novel um, the actual miniseries captured a lot of the quirkiness of the graphic novel, which is what I liked. Yeah, I mean, I really liked the graphic novel, so I was really excited about the movie. And then I thought it was like, it had its tone shifts were just absurd. Like, it would go from really dark to like, haha, they're having sex and the flames. The Hallelujah was an awful choice. Oh, it was an awful thing. choice. I don't know how, I don't know how David Lynch pulls it off. Like, he's also like, I thought David Lynch would be a creep, honestly, before, like, I really saw him talk when I saw some of his movies, because I was just like, like, how women are treated. But he's really trying to highlight how terrible women are treated. Um, And he's, I mean, everybody who treats a woman like shit in his movies ends up either dead or, like, really messed up. Yeah. like, there's a very abusive husband in Twin Peaks, and he gets, like, fucked over. Just everyone's messed up in Twin Peaks. But he doesn't let people who abuse women get away with it for very long. Or if they do get away with it, like, eventually they have their comeuppance. Yeah. So, I, I don't think he's, like, and then the, I think the first time I, like, really got to know him was when Twin Peaks Season 3 was coming out. He did, like, this, it was almost like they were all sitting in a bar. And it was him and, like, Laura Dern and Machen Amick and, uh, I can't remember the girl who plays Audrey. But, like, basically every woman who's been in his movies. And most of them, oh, Naomi Watts was there, too. Like, um, and they've all been in multiple, most of them have been in multiple works with him. Like, people come back and work with him repeatedly. Um, so I think he seems to be on the up and up. He doesn't seem like a Harvey Weinstein situation. Although... There was one accusation I read about, but a lot of people said it wasn't true. But I don't remember. I don't think there was a specific accusation. It was more of like somebody was angry and they said, I think David Lynch is like a pervert or something. But I never really heard anything about it. So I'm keep my fingers crossed. He is not a, a pervert, but I don't think he is. I He seems like if, if that many women come back to work with him and feel safe working with him, he's probably fine. Yeah. Because Harvey Weinstein apparently always had, like, a weird reputation. Like, but people just weren't listening. Um, And speaking of, like, he works with a lot of people over and over again. I said Jack Nance. But Angelo Badalamenti, this was his first movie with him. And he just got brought in to be Isabella Rossellini's uh, vocal coach. And he liked it so much, he asked him to write another song. Which, originally they're supposed to have a specific song by Chris Isaac who's in Firewalk With Me, but he was, like, an 80s kind of pop star. Um, and it was too expensive <laughs> because uh, De Laurentiis wasn't going to give him that much money. And so they had Battle Lamenti wrote this song 
the music, but he said, well, I, I don't write lyrics, so David, you're going to have to write the lyrics. So David Lynch wrote the lyrics to this song, Mystery of Love, which... Um, Is that the one that's playing while they're kissing? While they're dancing, yeah. yeah. It's very, like, ethereal, and, like, he said he wanted it to sound like the wind. And I like uh, the way it sounds, but the lyrics killed me. Yeah, well, David Lynch wrote them, so <laughs> that's it. Apparently, it, and Angelo Balamenti said, "I don't know if I can write music around these lyrics, David." So, but he he did it, and he got um this really great singer called Julie Christie to sing it. But she also ended up singing the main theme of Twin Peaks called "Falling," because like there's a scene in the first see episode. Um, like the pilot where they're at like a bar and she's singing it at the bar, but like it, it's the it's the theme that plays over the credits in the beginning of every episode, but there are lyrics that go to it. And it's also like very like like falling, falling. It's like repeating the same lyrics over and over again. But it's very it's more like hypnotic. And that's what I like about Angelo Badalamenti's music with David Lynch, is because he does do this like hypnotic dreamlike kind of quality to his music and because there's such a dreamlike quality to david lynch's films they just really marry well like he did mohol and drive too he's done pretty much all of his movies since uh blue velvet and blue velvet was the first movie they collabed on and uh yeah i really like his music i think it's a huge part also david lynch tried to make music and if you ever want a laugh Go look up his YouTube channel because there's like a, there's literally a song and my friend Sophie showed me this song and it's something about like there's a football and there's like a bunch of people in a backyard and one girl's just on a trampoline topless jumping the whole time. But it's like this repetitive rhythmic song. It's very experimental and it's fucking hilarious, honestly. But I was trying to find his actual, like, he has a YouTube channel called David Lynch Theater. Where huh? he just, like, he does something called the, oh, he did one today. He does the weather report every day. Where he's oh. like, hi, I'm David Lynch and this is the weather report. Hi there. I love him. I'm sorry, I'm doing a terrible impersonation of him. but That's pretty he's good. Doing, yeah. But he's like, it's so fucking weird. But my friend Sophie showed it to me. I was like, what the hell is this? And she's like, I don't know, it's David Lynch. Because he's just like, he's just so experimental. Indeed, maybe. He is. Yes. He's experimental. Experimental. Mabel's uh, being experimental. She's just, just experimenting with her voice. But yeah, it's very, it's very weird and creepy and uh, like very funny and like just makes you uncomfortable. And I was like, what was, what was, what's the plan here david i'm just curious um but yeah crazy clown time that's what it's called it's called crazy, crazy clown time go look up crazy clown time on um on youtube because it's just a bunch of hipsters in a backyard drinking out of like red solo cups and there's like a barbecue and yeah, so David Lynch is a fascinating human being, even if he might, maybe he is like creepy and repressed. I don't know. I don't know, Valerie, if he is, but uh, he makes really good films that are fun to watch and like interesting to watch. He's like one of the only people that I don't get frustrated when he like goes on a tangent and like he's experimenting. Like I don't get bored watching him like ah, it's David Lynch. Like he's that's what he does. Whereas, like, other people will do that. And I'm like, you're a pretentious asshole. 
Yeah. So, like, so was, what did you not like about this movie? Because I think we've talked about what we liked about this movie. I, the only thing I could really think of is like the tonal shift, which is actually, I thought it was interesting because um, while researching the movie, I came across Robert Ebert's, Roger Ebert's uh, review of the movie. He gave it one star. And that was the, the big, hell? yeah, that was the big reason he gave it one star um, was because he thought that Lynch pulled two back from, he was like, you know, you want to take us down this rabbit hole, but you're too afraid to keep us in the rabbit hole. And I I wouldn't agree with that completely. Like, yeah, the tonal shifts are jarring. I don't feel like it makes it a one-star movie, though, because of this. I think this has very... I feel like the years have been kind to it. I feel like this is very much a cult film. Um, 34 years later, I feel like it's a movie you could probably watch multiple times, find new things that you like about it. Um, so I don't agree with that. Um, but yeah, I will I'm say, really surprised. I kind of avoided l- watching his review because I didn't really want to um see it but i mean it has a 7.8 out of 10 on imdb like people love this movie and i feel like it's a it's a b movie is what the kind of rating i would give for it is there is there anything you disliked about it i don't like the why are there people like frank speech because it really felt like i think i said this earlier but it felt like there's this melodramatic scene in the miniseries it with john ritter and i can't remember the girl's name but the girl that's playing oh hey Tyrion, the cat um (laughs) oh he's so cute um anyways so there's john ritter and the girl that his character's in love with and all she's like it's like a scene from a soap opera he's standing behind her she's facing the camera and she's like why is it so mean why does it hate and it's just so over the top and he's like, and then like she says something, he's like, damn it, are you the clown, Bev? And it's just really stupid. And I was getting vibes from that. And I was like, okay, this is a little too melodramatic. And Twin Peaks does that a bit. It does. It does do that. It, they get melodramatic, but they're kind of making fun of it. So like, I, like there's even a fake soap opera that they watch in Twin Peaks. So they're obviously like, it's a theme. But like that kind of. I did not like that. And also, like, the Robin speech was kind of, like, I liked that she had, like, a hopeful outlook. But, like you said, like, Laura Dern sells it. But if anybody else said that, I would be like, oh, that was fucking stupid. And there was, like, a soaring score behind her, like, speech, too. Oh, yeah. Also kind of made it, I was like. If you're not used to Lynch movies or, like, Twin Peaks, this seem, it must seem really weird. Like, I'm glad I watched Twin Peaks before I saw this because it's just kind of light Twin Peaks. Um, and, yeah, it's just the melodrama. Like, I feel like that's the thing that turns people off about Twin Peaks, too, is because they're like, why are they acting like that? Why are they, like, so over the top? Because they're, they're good actors. There's, there's good actors in Twin Peaks, and then there's, like, people that aren't actors in Twin Peaks. They don't have anything in between. Everybody's either really good or like this was their one role and like but they make it fit because it's supposed to be this heightened reality but it kind of like sometimes I get annoyed with it honestly when they get a little too like misty eyed and just like oh it's love love the mysteries of love I'm like okay great I don't know maybe it's because I'm in a pessimistic love mood but that's probably the only stuff I didn't like but I liked Sandy and Jeffrey as a team I just, like, when they got too lovey-dovey, I was like, ugh, ugh. It's kind yeah. of gross love. It was kind of just like, ugh, ugh. Yeah. Um, but I, 
I love this movie. Like I, the more times I watch it, I still enjoy every time I watch it. And I still find something else to see and to look at. So I, I genuinely do recommend this movie. I give it like nine out of 10, honestly. Yeah. I love the ending scene too. Cause she's reunited with her son and she looks so oh, happy. Yes, I know. Yeah. It's so cute. And they bring the little hat back, which you obviously was her son's, but like he's wearing the little hat she had. Oh, wait, wait, one thing I did want to talk about was, okay, the yellow man, the man in the yellow jacket. He's yeah. Dar- he's Detective Williams' partner. And he's obviously, like, playing, he's, like, a double agent. And, like, this last scene, like, I I get confused every time I see that mo- that scene because I'm like, did he get shot? Because you can yeah. see his brain, and but he's not quite dead. He's just, yeah. like, brain dead, and he's just standing there. And that, to me, like, always sticks with me when I see that movie. I think that scared me more than a lot of it. I was like, oh, that's really disturbing, because yeah. they killed Dorothy Valen's husband, and the detective's, like, like a zombie. It's weird. And then uh, Jeffrey takes his gun and hides in the closet. But and he I- does a really smart thing. Yeah. Where he, he, he says, he figures out, he's like, oh, yeah, Frank has a police scanner. So if I say over the police radio where I am to Detective Williams, then he's going to know where I am. So he says, I'm in the back bedroom. And then he leaves the walkie-talkie in the back bedroom and runs into the closet. So, like, Frank has gets confused, so he buys himself enough time. Um, but then he still has to kill Frank, which kind of sucked. But, you know, he killed yeah. evil, so that's okay. I was confused about that scene. It's very jarring because you obviously see Dorothy's husband strapped to the chair and he's dead. And you know it's him because the ear is missing. Um, but yes. I don't know how her husband's tied up and the man in the yellow jacket got shot. Like, yeah, I'm confused. I, I'm guessing it got cut out in editing because okay. so like they try to go after Frank, the police do, and he escapes and he's robbed a bank and he has this. I don't know about you, but the goofy one of the goofier aspects of this movie was the fact that like Frank has a disguise when he robs banks. Yeah. Where it's like a fake mustache and a, like a wig and it's really fake looking. And it like made me laugh. I was like, what the hell is that? What's going on? Um, but yeah, I don't really know. They they were a little unclear with that. And I I wonder if it's an editing thing. Apparently they thought they lost a bunch of the original footage, but they found it and released it with, like, the DVD. That's another thing with Firewalk With Me is, like, supposed to be, like, four hours, too. But they, like, cut it down, and then, like, you can watch, like, the special edition. I really want the complete collection of Twin Peaks because, like, they have a lot more footage. Um, and I think all of his movies are like that. He just films a lot of stuff, and he has to cut a lot of stuff out. And sometimes, like, it works. Like, Mulholland Drive, I feel like, flowed pretty well. Except for only the switching of the two stories threw me. Everything else was fine. And that's, like, David Lynch does something called Lost Highway, which I've always wanted to see. And I've never gotten to watch it yet. Where um, it's two stories, but the women in the stories are both played by Patricia Arquette. That's interesting. Yeah, it's two different stories, but she plays, like, the love interests in both of the stories. So, I guess ratings, I already said, I give it, like, a 9 out of 10. Because I think it's grown on me, too. I probably would have given it an 8 out of 10 the first time I saw it. But the more I watch it, the more I see in it. And he's just such an auteur that um, I just love him. 
Yeah, and I would say it's definitely an eight out of ten for me. Like yeah. it's a like, good movie. It's a cult movie. Um, I liked it. I can admire the artistry, artistry in it. Um, artistry. I can't say words tonight, obviously. Artistry. Um, artish, artistry. Artistry. Yes. It's... I I <laughs> I admire that. Um, very much so. I thought the acting was pretty good all around. Um, Dennis Hopper was obviously amazing and a standout. Fearless. Um, Everybody's fearless in this movie. Except for, honestly, Dennis Hopper and Isabella Rossellini are the most fearless. Uh, Kyle oh, McLaughlin yeah. is pretty fearless, and so is Laura Dern, but they don't get to shine as much yeah. as Rossellini and Hopper do. And I, I just, it's such a good movie. It's such a, like a, it is like a movie, like, if you love movies, you should see this movie. It's how a movie should be made. Oh, yeah. I can agree with that, for sure. Yeah. It's just, it is weird. Like, it's a weird movie. I was trying to explain it to my parents yesterday. Or today? No, it was yesterday. And I was just like, I mean, yeah, there might be a ritualistic sex scene in it, but it's such a good movie. And I was like, I was like, I don't know how to explain this because some of it is so innocent and some of it is so not. And I think that's why I like it because it is. I think that's what he's trying to show is like even like the most innocent of places have a dark CD underbelly, which is exactly what Twin Peaks says too. So it's just a thing. He likes to explore the dark seediness of suburbia. And I mean, I kind of like that too. Maybe it's because I grew up in a suburb maybe, but I tend to like it. Um, what did you have any ratings for this? Oh yeah. Um, I put rated C for car dancing and canister huffing. Okay. Cause I love the girl dancing on top of the car. I mean, is she out of her mind on drugs? What we don't know, but she is just dancing on top of that car while <laughs> while Jeffrey's being beaten. Yeah, like there's a lot of weird stuff in this movie. Um, I had a couple, which I don't know which ones we're gonna like better. Uh, rated H for Heineken. Fuck that shit. Paps Blue Ribbon because it's my favorite line. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then rated R for robotic Robins because that Robin looks fake. And Dennis Leary, sw- not Dennis Leary, Dennis Lynch, David Lynch, not Dennis Leary. <laughs> David Lynch swears it was a real Robin playing a part. And that's why he looks so weird. And I'm like, no, Dennis. I mean, David, why do I want to call him Dennis? No, David, it's not a real Robin. That's a flipping robot. It's creepy. Yes. Or rated C for the candy-colored clown they call the Sandman, which is the opening line to In Dreams. Yes, I like um, your first one. Remind me. Rated H for Heineken. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Yes. Blue Ribbon. I love that. Okay. Iconic. So I guess we have to pick another movie. We are going to have a special guest Woo! coming up, but because um, Brittany's moving the rest of her, or the big stuff out of her apartment to her new house. We don't want to do anything crazy next week in case we have to cancel or anything. So uh, let me choose which movie we're going to get. So next week, we're going to watch a very strange movie starring Matthew McConaughey, Nicole Kidman, and Zac Efron, and the singer Macy Gray. Um, It's called The Paperboy. And it's... I, I... saw it several years ago with uh, my then boyfriend and my friend and we couldn't believe what we were seeing was real so it's one of those movies I I 
I've seen it like three times, I think. And I'm curious if it's what you're going to think of it. Because either you will like think it's like the room and love it or like hate it, I think. Like it's kind of like I can't figure out if it's so bad it's good or just melodramatic as, as AF. Like it's, it's melodramatic. It was made back in 2012. And it was directed by Lee Daniels, who did The Butler and Precious. He produced The Precious, but he did, he wrote and directed this one. And it's like really melodramatic. And it also takes place in the South in the past. And there's like issues, like there, anyways, it's very weird. Um, There's some weird scenes, but I'm curious. It's kind of a silly one, and I don't know if I love it or hate it yet, honestly. But it was one of those movies that was so unique that I absolutely had to buy it because I laugh at it, but there's parts that are actually really disturbing and, like, touching. So, I don't really know how I feel about this movie. So, I think we're going to watch. So, it's The Paperboy. It's streaming on Amazon Prime through IMDb. Um, because they're owned by the same people. But you do have to watch it with ads. So it used to be streaming on Netflix. So I would check Netflix if you live in a different country. Because they might actually have it in like Netflix. I feel like Netflix Canada might be the same. As the US. Because they usually have commercials for Netflix US and Canada. But I know Europe has different Netflix rules. So sometimes they have stuff. Um but yeah, The Paperboy by Lee Daniels from 2012, starring Nicole Kidman. Oh, John Cusack's in it, too. Woohoo! And, oh, and there's, like, a murder mystery. And, like, everyone has really bad Southern accents, except for Matthew McConaughey, because he's actually Southern. Yes. Um, it's, it's like a trash movie. Like, I hate saying it like that, but, like, every there's a lot of, like, just trashiness in this movie. But then there's stuff that's, like... You want you want to think that like it's an elevated thing that's going that's happening like oh they're exploring this side of society oh interesting but then like it just seems like the editing is really weird like the beginning is just like cut 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 so I'm I'm curious what someone else will think of it because even like my friends who aren't like into tearing apart movies that I've shown this movie to have been like what the hell is happening and have enjoyed watching it. And it's, like, it's kind of disturbing because there's a couple scenes that are, like, kind of distressing. But I think there's a good movie in there somewhere. I'm excited. I'm excited. It's one you won't forget. I have a friend who, like, when I told her about Nightingale, was like, I don't think it sounds as disturbing as The Paperboy. So, like, people remember it, but, like, I feel like no one's seen it. So I'm really excited to do The Paperboy. Um, Also, Macy Gray is both a character in the movie and the movie's narrator and she sounds like she took a like a Xanax the whole time like she sounds real like drowsy I mean she kind of talks like that normally like she's just a real chill person but she's just like hey this thing happened yeah and you're just like okay Macy Gray cool so anyways um so yeah so that's uh, Blue Velvet go watch it if you haven't already it was great and next week, we're going to watch The Paperboy on uh, IMDb or Amazon Prime IMDb. Yes, episode yeah. 15. Here we come. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. And, yeah, this was the week that we um, we had to miss an episode because nothing would download 
like Brittany had to download it for me. And then I tried to download the next episode last night and it didn't download. And I don't know if it's my computer or Skype on my computer, but something's going, something's being fishy. I don't yeah. like it. So if it keeps happening, I'm going to have to ask Brittany to download them. But they work if you put it on the Google Drive. So, Ooh. And I can always do that. That's never an issue. Yeah. Your internet must either be faster than me or just because you have a Mac. Maybe it's just better. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I love my computer. But I also overloaded it with video games. And so, like, it's probably that, too. Yeah. I was about to say, I don't have any video games on mine. So that could be. That could probably be why it's running better. Because... <laughs> The Sims, by the way, will absolutely destroy your computer. I love that game, but I need to get... The next computer I get needs to have a tower and be really fancy because I play too many video games on it. Okay, so we're going to let you guys go. I'm talking too much. It's past 11. and But we only talked for two hours and ten minutes, so we only have to cut like 40 minutes out of this one. Yay! It's an accomplishment. Um, Yeah. So, we will see you guys later. And we love you. We love you. You want to say? Oh, I do. I do. (laughs) Stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, (laughs) y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. We're living this now. Yeah, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And good night, Brittany. Bye, Katie. Till next week. Till next week. Bye. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.